Hi everyone, Raphael Harry here, and you're listening to White Label American, a podcast where we hear stories from an immigrant or two, sometimes more. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Hi, everybody. Thank you for joining us today for another episode of White Label America. We appreciate the love and support that you've been giving us. And special shout out to our Patreons, Sarah Aruna, Jeff Schumacher, Kennedy James, Daniel Perez, and Mark Butler. We appreciate you all and special thanks for the love and support that you've given us in taking this podcast to the next level. How I found today's guest is uh, without my daughter, I wouldn't know today's guest. And, you know, since I had my daughter, within um, the first six months to uh, before she hits her second year, um, I was on a lot of YouTube, watching music, just hitting out with music from everywhere. And uh, I first started with the Afro beats and, you know, the usual old school Nigerian. And then YouTube decided to do their own thing and just hit me with everything. And then she started reacting to a lot of Boiler Room uh, DJs and um, concerts from Boiler Room. And when the pandemic hit, one day uh, there was this performance that was um, going on and it was today's guest who was performing and he was reading poetry. And I was like, oh, Boiler Room does poetry? All right. And my daughter was calm. She didn't react. So I was like, okay, she's not reacting. So I can enjoy this performance. And that's how I got to meet today's guest, Joshua Idehen. I, I, I didn't lose my Bini card there. I've been losing my touch with Bini. So, yeah. So um, I, I, I got to watch the whole performance. And after that, I looked into him. I saw that Joshua Idehen is uh, a poet, a workshop facilitator, musician, and founder of a renowned, renowned, poetry, music magazine, Poe Jazzy. And as a poet, he has performed on, at major music uh, festivals and appeared on anthologies alongside Linton Quasi Johnson. As a musician, he works in three bands and he will tell us how he does that because that's uh, fascinating to me. Benin City, Hugh, and with an electro dub outfit with my daughters, can't stop. Um, anytime I play, she just dances. But now she's no longer into that adult music phase. But when she used to be, she used to love LV a lot. I love it now. So it's not all my stuff. So only on my phone, I can play it. I can't play it on TV anymore. So Joshua also plays music that's inspired by Black cinema. And Joshua is also an all-round creative who isn't limited to poetry and music. But a lot of what we'll be talking about today is based on poetry and music because that's how I came to know him. So welcome on the show, Joshua. Uh, how body? How you day? Uh, body day fine. Body day fine. We just they do our own. You get me? We just they try for this place in Jesus' name. No enemy. <laughs> the weapon passion against us shall prosper. <laughs> and me, and me, Nigeria make it to December. So some of my Nigerians will say, "Hey, Raf, Raf went and found somebody who is not hey, my friend, Finally, finally." My Niger for December, no SARS for our area, for our road, for our yes. pathway, no mm -hmm. for, no, no roadblock. Can I swear, by the way? 
Oh yes, it's like no it's, fucking it's, it's, our it's, it's, This podcast is tailored to any guest. If you want to swear, you swear. If you don't want to, yeah, want to do blood of Jesus, you do blood of we Jesus. We are no in the blood of Jesus. We have made it to the last month of this year, and we will see 2021 with bright flying colors. I'm right. Damn in right. Jesus' name, Amen. Inshallah. Amen. Thank you very much for inviting me. We have we have we have we have done a dance between us, email dance. Oh yes. Honor is all mine. Um so let's begin with the first question. Um you were born in the UK and at the same time you are connected to the Asian Kingdom of Benin City. So can you introduce the audience to um where you were born and how you are related to Benin City? Okay, cool. So um, I was born Ehiwema, Joshua Iden, in Hackney, East London. And then um, my father, Nosa Iden, he was um, one of the kids of uh, one of the chiefs in, uh, what's it called, in uh, Benin City. Because, you know, like the Oba Benin, he has all of mm -hmm. these chiefs and all the chiefs are very rich. Now, my granddad, he was a... Uh, how can I say this? He was a typical Nigerian Benin chief in the sense that he had a lot of wives and a lot, my, a lot my, of my grandfather too. Even hey, you know, what I'm I'm saying, hey, 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 by that effect, he had a lot of kids. Mm -hmm. And so um, when he died, uh, the man did not leave a will. So even though he had oh. a lot of... <laughs> that, that, would been, that would have been a yeah. surprise if he did. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> my, 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 my history is a Hollywood movie in effect. Oh. So, so um, obviously when he died, my, my dad was in the beginning of building a life in, in England. Um, he had gone through kind of like any kind of African going living in... Um, the UK goes through like he was uh what's it called? He had studied to be an engineer, dealing with you know the mixture of racism and racial curiosity, experienced a weird phenomenon where every single person he trained ended up being promoted to becoming his boss and moving on while he stayed in the same place. So with yeah. grandfather, our grandfather kind of died at the right time. And his siblings on his mom's side called him up and were like, yo, we're sitting on the only piece of land. <laughs> that we've got for you, so you better come down. And with everything that he was dealing with in the UK, all of the kind of discrimination and just the, the limited uh, opportunities, he went back to Nigeria, 1984, and he took me and my brother back. Now, when he got there, at the time, my dad was a massive hoarder of video cassettes. Mm. So, I mean, if you remember, like, back in the 80s, like, yeah. you know, you look like you're my age, so you probably know this. Back in the 80s in Nigeria, a sign of, there were several signs of status amongst the Benin people. And I think probably everywhere. Your cows, car, and if you can't have the two, television. And then obviously <laughs> their, levels, their levels of television. People forget this, but I remember there used to be TVs that had the, what's it called? The, the, they didn't have buttons. They had those uh, knobs you had to yeah, turn. Yeah, the yeah? knobs, yeah. So you had all those black and white knobs. At some, and you had a lot of them that had like, what's it called? <clears throat> Remote controls that were connected by a wire to the TV. Yes. And there were yes. two forms of video cassettes. You had VHS and Betamax. Now my dad mm, uh, had, had recorded pretty much... We had, we had almost, VHS. Yeah, my dad had recorded almost 
Yeah, you thought you were getting a short story, but hey. We are here recorded. for it. <laughs> yeah, my dad recorded every, um, what's it called? Almost everything of television. He recorded Knight Rider, Scooby-Doo, He-Man. If he could lay his hands on 18, so he had literally like a, a trailer full. I remember my mom used to complain about like, get rid of all of these tapes. So when he came, when he arrived in Nigeria, thinking about what he was going to do with his life, he realized that there was a huge gap. Most families, they would have a cassette and they have a TV, a status symbol, but they mm-hmm. didn't really have that much to watch because they didn't have that many films. Yeah. So he started uh, Benin City's first video rental store called Soundview. Soundview yeah. Electronics. Yeah. And that was the first, I mean, obviously that just became like a library for films. That just went became an incredible thing. People just, you know, flooded it and he was making money hand over fist. But the sm- second smart thing he did was the local channel, which was the EBS, for originally it was Bendel State Television. Yeah, and then BBS. BBS, BBS. Yeah. and then it spun off to become EBS when the state mm-hmm. split. So BBS had contacted them because they wanted, they were always showing, I think, the same 10 or 20 films every evening oh, after yeah. the news. Oh, yeah. So they wanted some more films. So they went up to my dad. So And they offered my dad such little money. My dad said, you know what? Okay, keep the money. Show my films for free. Any film I give you, show it for free. But what my dad then did was, inside the film, because my dad, he had uh, several Commodore 64s, and he had, uh, what's it called? He got like a paint program for Commodore 64 that allowed you to, you could create like a a painting, and then you could um, play the painting so everyone could see how the painting was being made, like, like a video. So what he did was, every time he gave a film to EBS, he spliced in the film the painting of the word, this film was given to you by Soundview Electronics. Oh. Right? So effectively, he never had to pay for advertising. Yeah. And every single film, every time they watched a big action movie with Anton Schneider, they saw a new mm-hmm. painting. And that just for the all, for all of the 80s, my, my, my dad made, he made so much money and he was so famous. One time when my dad got robbed on the street by armed robbers, because my dad had Sandview written on his car. He had a uh, PGO 504 and he had yeah. Sandview written, written on it and he was in the dark. So they put it in, the armed robbers had thrown a stone and he had to swerve and they came out with guns and they were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then one of them just, he stood there and then he looked back and was like, are you Sandview? And my dad was like, yes. Next week, you got to show some big film, yeah? Big film. I'm sorry, 10 minutes or two, yeah? My dad's like, I will show 10 minutes or two. You, you still want the money? You're like, no, 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 no. We've taken enough. <laughs> you just keep going. <laughs> so, yeah, um, I ended up... My dad was making a huge amount of money. Um, and so I ended up kind of like spending my, my formative years between 84 to 99 in Nigeria. And when Sani Abacha died, um, mm-hmm. around that time, my parents decided that it was... It was good for me to at least get a, a foreign education. And I decided, yeah, I'll get a foreign education in poetry. <laughs> wow. Yeah, you can imagine, you can imagine my parents are like, yeah, I'm going to study, <laughs> He's going to study to become a doctor or an engineer or a yeah. lawyer. And I'm like, daddy, I'm going to become puff daddy, but poor. Poor daddy. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> if, if saying puff daddy is, is still... Um... Yeah, that that's still um that that's still like I bind you in blood in the name of Jesus. I bind you in the name of you know, I, I bind yeah, that yeah. Demon. you know you're thinking pop daddy. Are you going to bring pop daddy money? No, daddy is poor daddy. You know what I'm saying? Poor daddy. That's my poetry name. It's, 
<laughs> I want to temper expectations very hard. So, you're, you know, we're not, nobody's going into this expecting Joshua to come with a Bentley after, after he has finished his sonnet. Not like that. No. <laughs> wow. So, you know, the funny thing, uh, what, what school did you, did you attend while you were in Benin? Oh, God. Um, so, only two, actually. I went to fed, uh, Federal Staff School. Uh, from my no, my primary and secondary school. Oh, so uh, uh, no, 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 my, 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 no, 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 federal staff school for my primary. So kindergarten and primary was federal staff school. So all the way to um, uh, I don't know which class again. And then I went yes. straight from that to what's it called, Ignidion. Oh, okay. Uh, oh, so yeah. So we used to think of people like you as snobs. Hey, 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 I was, <laughs> me, you me, and me. I were in Benin around the same time. I was, I was <laughs> a fucking snob. You fucking plebs going to all them fucking <laughs> government-funded schools. Your, your boarding houses had no conflicts. You don't have any milk in the morning. Your uniforms are all gray and brown. Eh? Yes. Your, your classes have rats and lizards. You want to don't talk to me. Don't, don't discuss with me. I am. A, I was a proud to be a snob. When I tell people I'm Benedictine, they're like, mm, mm, look at him. He's, he's rich oh, we, yes. we used to hate. I, I remember when the Benedictine started. We used to hate on the Benedictine because I, I was in. I moved to Benin '86. I was in just then. I arrived in Benin around '86. Uh -huh. Stayed at uh, Water Resources, so I thought I was like <laughs> high and mighty. And then reality struck, and then we moved down. But we stayed in Google. <laughs> But we stayed in GRA most of the time, and then Boundary. You stayed in GRA? Yeah. I stayed in GRA. All my time in Benin was GRA. I, you but, see, this is the thing I've always said, like, you know, however you are looking at people, yeah, mm -hmm. people are looking at you. Because yeah. I was in Fred Oakby Street looking at GRA people going, you snobs. You dirty snobs. With your dirty money and your dirty gates. You are coming here, talking, looking down on us. And, you know, and then you, you go to school and then suddenly everything flip around. So, you know, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, that's uh, primary school. I was in Army Brigade by uh, wow. close to uh, Ebenezer Primary School. And then mm. I went to Word of Faith. For GSS, then after GSS, that's okay. when I went to my, my brother went to World, where World of Faith. I think he went for SS. Oh, yeah, SS, he, he'll probably know people that I know because I know I know your last name because mm. that's quite a common name, too. So, yeah, he there is kind of like it's like Smith or Johansson. It's like, yeah, oh my god, hey, Josh, we found someone else called Idehan. No, I don't know him. I don't know him. <laughs> My grandfather had a lot of wives and a lot of kids. I don't know him. <laughs> <laughs> it's like somebody saying, I know a Dowser. Uh, yeah. yeah. I, I, went, I went to a Dowser school. His children were in my school. That doesn't mean I know every Dowser because there was a Dowser in my class and he wasn't related to Bersini Dowser. <laughs> you know what I'm my school teacher had, my school teacher, what's he called? Yeah. He was, what's he called? He, he knew someone who was Idehe, and he was like, do you know Charles Idehe? And I was like, no. Are you sure? <laughs> no, I don't. Why would yeah. I know that? Why, why, do you know how big our Christmas parties are? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, One time at yeah. our Christmas party, I tried to hit on a girl, and the girl was like, are you Idehe? And she was like, yeah. We said, we can't. We can't. We can't. I was like, but I don't even know you. She was like, yes, but I know you. <laughs> Is there anyone in this party who I'm not with? Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, when, when, I, when I would move to Portacot later on, and um, I was like, okay, yeah, now I'm, I'm around my people. 
Then the, the last name, oh, oh you're a Harry. So are you from Abonima? I said, no. But every Harry is from Abonima. I said, no, I'm from Bayelsa. <laughs> but every Harry is from uh, River State. I said, no, but my family is Harry. We are from Bayelsa. I'm like, what oh, about Dirty Harry? Eh? Where is Dirty Harry from? Yeah, uh, that, that became an issue. Like even in America now, every, every time I meet my fellow job people, the first thing is, are you from River State? I said, no, I'm not from River State. <laughs> because the largest Harry clan is from Abonima, so it's like automatic. I'm from automatically, you know, they yeah, just they, um, I'm like, yeah, you, you're not even getting started with the last name. It's only when I meet the non uh Niger Deltans, they're like, How your last name, Harry? What happened? I'm like, what do you mean? What happened? You asked good luck, Jonathan. What happened that his last name is Jonathan? But <laughs> 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 he asked him that question. He come and ask me what happened. My last name is <laughs> yeah. go to River State and ask them how many Harry's are there. <laughs> oh. I, know, I, know, I know, oh man, but it's just crazy how, how probably. We, we probably may have crossed each other's paths one of those days, and I was like, man, fuck these guys. Well, we'll be like, fuck these guys. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Teenage, teenage angst. So did you, did you ever go to Queens? When Queens was open, the, the video game store in, uh, in Jerry, the first video oh, game dude, store. Dude, dude, mate, you want to talk video games, like, basically... I got into video games proper when they were like video game stores. In fact, I tried to get my dad to get on it and it really pisses me off because my dad was, if there's one thing I've taken from my dad, it's his level of competition and his, his refusal to kind of like take on any idea that doesn't really come from him. Like those are my two biggest vices and I got it from my dad because I told my dad, yeah, check, check the story, right? Mm -hmm. People didn't have video games. It was like the same thing was happening again. People were into video games. People didn't have video games. So what yeah. happened? We opened all these video game rental stores where you went in and you paid 20 naira and you played like Street Fighter or whatever for 30 minutes. So yes. we had missed that the Super Nintendo. Huh? Yeah, we missed Super Nintendo. We missed Super Nintendo. We missed PlayStation. NCT, uh, Nintendo 64 had just come out. I had pushed my dad that we should do it. My dad said no. So I pushed my mom. My mom, thankfully, yeah, didn't know what she was doing. She just went, oh, he said Nintendo 64. Which game will I buy? Let me buy Mario Kart. And I don't know which game I want. I asked for Turok. My mom was like, I don't know which one she liked. Oh, James Bond. My, 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 my husband has all these James Bond films. Joshua likes James Bond films. Let me pick James Bond. She picked GoldenEye 64. So I had GoldenEye 64, yeah? I tried to start a rental thing. My dad made me put it at the back of his store where no one could find it. So it, it lasted two days before we had to take it home. My mom said, you know what? You tried, it didn't work. My dad was like, haha, you tried, it didn't work. So I was like, okay, cool. I tried, it didn't work. Let me sit on my idea. I wanted, I played GoldenEye and Mario Kart like to hell because we suddenly realized that not only was the game fun, it was fun multiplayer, like four player GoldenEye, deathmatch, everybody shooting. I, but we were bored with it. So we took it to, we took it to one of those uh, video game rental spaces and we were like, okay, give us Super Mario 64, take GoldenEye. So he took GoldenEye, we were like, which one is this? I like, it's a James Bond game. You can play multiplayer, shoot each other, see how you feel. We played Mario. Originally, I had to fight him to get Mario off him. I had to fight this guy to get Mario off him. When I called him, when I came over and I said, yo, you've, uh, what's it called? You said I can only hold it for a week. Here you go. Let me get my GoldenEye. He was like, 
you know what? Can you can you give me an extra week? You can have it for another week. So I was like, okay, cool. I because I wanted to play Mario some more. So I played Mario for, for 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 an extra week. When I came back the second week, my dude had bought eight Nintendo 64s, eight copies of wow. Goldman because it exploded. Like for, instead of just getting like, because you know he was charging per part. So you, mm-hmm. you pay 20 yeah. naira per yeah. part. So yeah, so four people, one in 1064, that's 80 naira per 20 minutes he was getting. Because everybody wanted to play that. You know, yeah. you choose Jaws, Odd Job, James Bond, Roger Moore, whatever. I'm there just looking, going, this is what I could have done. <laughs> wow. <laughs> this is what I could have done. Yeah, like it was, and obviously after Goldeneye became big, then wrestling became big, then. Tekken 3 became big, so PlayStation came back and then there was Gran Turismo. But yeah, that was that was a real waking moment for me because I was just there just going like, wow, this this could have been because we had Goldeneye way before everybody else and we had four mm-hmm. pads. So we could have been the one place at least for six months where everyone was just like, I want to play Goldeneye. But yeah, you know. Yeah, I was one of those kids who you, you, you wouldn't find me like, uh, I had like, because I was in a very religious household, and uh, I hardly had, I was, I was hardly allowed to go out. <laughs> so oh, no, once school, here. once school closed, that thirty minutes window, <laughs> once school <laughs> closed, like oh, you run no. out as soon as possible, you get know, to class, I'm, I'm, deposit your money, <laughs> play yeah, for thirty minutes, they run I'm, home. <laughs> I'm telling that you, was yeah, me. <laughs> my mom was my mom was the same thing. In yeah. fact, right. Like I, a lot of my independence came when my mom and father were exchanged because my dad, he, at one point, you know, two of them were fighting because my dad was a philanderer and my mom was like, obviously didn't like any of that. So they had like big fights and then my mom left. So there was this whole period where my dad was just like, you know, your mom's not staying in the house, do whatever you want. So me, after school, because uh, from my, when I was in senior secondary school, I went from, I, you know, I just didn't go home. I just go on Okada, drove down, Pay the man 20 naira. That was like, I would spend out sometimes, actually at one point, right? Because it turned out the guy who used to the rental place, it might have been Queens, you know? I'm just thinking, like, my brain is going, is it Queens? Queens, Queens was in GRA by, uh, on Adesua Road. I think he was Abu, that one. Was it the one where there was like, originally there was one guy, yeah, there was one guy who used to run it and that guy was a dickhead. He was such an asshole. Like he used to piss everybody off and then the owner had him kicked out and he did it himself. It was, this was an older guy, and he was really into video games. He made it very cool. That guy, they, they used to sell ice cream down uh, on the ground floor. It was a three. Yes, yes, I remember. Yeah, it was on the top step floor. The man had yeah. that was the place. I was the one who gave him golden eye, and he was oh, really. Ah. No, no, mate. That place was at I one point money. <laughs> yeah, no, mate. At one point, right? Because I I didn't have a lot of money, so what I used to do was I could pick up any film from my dad's rental place. And the guy who owned Queens was really into films. So yeah. he'd be like, so he'd be like, he would let me play any three games for as long as I want if I bring him like movies that he can watch. Wow. And then, yeah, I would just, I just run the guy a line of credit. <laughs> he'd be like, have you got this film? I'd be like, yeah, 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 we got this film, we got this film, we got this film. I come like 10 films, I just put it there. And he'd be like, oh, yeah, pick your film. Pick it. God, I, I mean, I must have mastered. Because, you know, you only played fighting games when you were there. At least I only yeah, played fighting games. Yeah, that, that was like the most popular team for us, fighting games. Yeah, man. I mastered Tekken when I was there. I played Tekken 3. I played, what's it called? I played first PlayStation there, first Saturn. Oh, God. I played Mortal Kombat Trilogy. Sometimes I borrowed games. Yeah, man. That was, 
that was big. That was such a big thing back then. And I re it really did kind of tear into me that my dad didn't believe so, in it. So were, were you one of those guys who, because there were guys who mastered the games and one people like us who never mastered games were struggling or getting beat. My friends. Those my guys friends. would come and say, hey, let me help you. Let me help you beat this guy. Let me help you beat this no, guy. Don't worry, I got I, you. So were you one of those guys that helped us to, yeah, to beat somebody, but they would end up playing our game for the whole session? No, <laughs> <laughs> no I mean, I was, I'll tell you, like, I was, I mean, I used to, there used to be periods where I would just stay there and watch other people and try and see if I can, like, beg a game or whatever. But most times I just came in and I was like, I'll have a bag full of films. I'll be like, yo, I want to play Mortal Kombat for like, you know, two hours or whatever. So really, I only hung okay. out with the same group of people, you know, and like, oh, these are the guy, kids who are really good at Tekken. And we just played Tekken yeah. back to back. Anybody who joined us, I didn't know how to play. They only got one match. Like, hey, <laughs> no, we, we did not want to mess with my Jack, man. My Jack, Jack to her. Eh, 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 yeah. hey. And then more Ultimate Mortal Kombat. Fucking hell. Oh, like Killer Instinct, Mortal Kombat, GoldenEye. Yeah, man, I was, that was my team. That was, those were my yeah, days. After I left Dini, because I, I moved to Ibadan, there, there were no video game stores around me, and I was in a house that there was no video games. The economic situation changed, so that's how my video game culture just died. I recovered wow. after that. <laughs> Even when I had access to video games, I joined the Navy. My roommate gave me all his Xbox and his games. I played for like two rounds. I was like, ah, I'm getting frustrated. I throw my game at the screen. I'm like, I'm not playing. What's this? I'm an adult now. Get out of here. <laughs> oh, I'm slowly getting there, you know. I've got I my stopped. Yeah. It was Queens when I was in Benin, Queens. Because I, I actually was uh, two houses away from Queens. Uh, the Lego ah. sold meat pie and um, a bunch of snacks and made bread. The, the bakery. Um, her daughter and myself were classmates from primary primary school age, uh, nursery school, actually. I've known that girl since nursery school. Uh, I know the whole family. I've forgotten their last name, but uh, they are Bini people too. Uh, so I've known them for a long time. And yeah, uh, so sometimes uh, her brother, her elder brother, who, I'll, I'll go meet him like, yeah, I want to play games at Queens. So it, we, 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 all had a com we all had a community. Like even the day, um, like our school, What of It, uh, uh, Greater Tomorrow, mm. and uh, Lydia. Those three schools, you know, they, they actually got police to raid Queens once because uh, the students weren't coming to school. The boys weren't coming to school. They took their school fees to go pay Queens. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> how, how many games is that, man? That's not even... I'm sorry, bro. What are you going... Oh, no, that doesn't make no sense. That no, no, make... no, no, no. When, when Queen started, there was that, that Queen's policy, like if it was during school uh, school period, you couldn't show up during, with, in school uniform after that, that police raid. Because I remember when my classmate jumped from the top of the, store, uh, the, the top of the building and landed on the, on the ice cream place down on, on the roof and oh. took off. That's oh, how he wow. escaped. Yeah, they, they brought plain clothes policemen. The three schools combined and hired police to come and raid the, uh, the place. So they changed their policy that you couldn't show up in school uniforms until after schools had closed. So after 2 p.m., that's when you could show up in school uniforms to play. Because of that, that, that the schools were complaining, like, oh, we're we are losing our money. You guys are taking our money. Come on, bring the money here. <laughs> no, <laughs> public that, schools didn't yeah. have a problem because public schools were supposed to be government, government for public schools or were, were free or whatever. Public schools couldn't complain. But private schools were like, oh, hell no. You can't, you can't be taking our money. What, what, what kind yeah. of business is this? <laughs> you got to take our money. 
That's just mad. That's just yeah. mad. Like, how you spend the whole school fees at Queens, man? That don't make no sense. Yeah, man. We, we had, but we hadn't seen video games. We, we hadn't, you know, how many of us had video games in our house? It was, it was no, like, you know, I mean, I mean, that's, that's <laughs> just, it, it was so cheap, man. It was like, like, it was, because I, on even on the street where I was, Frederick Street, we had like about three of them. One of them had the PlayStation. One of them, I mean, mm-hmm. What is like if what what do you want to see? You play you you pay what's it called? The most you pay hundred naira. You can play it for a night. Yeah, but it, it it took a while for that. You know, after it it became common. You know that fraud when Queen started, it that was the craze. That's why we all ran from school as soon as school closed. The fastest run of our group was giving all the money. Go go there and secure a TV. Now it sounds stupid when we're talking okay. about it. You know what? But, one thing, one thing yeah. we used to do here is like, you sit behind someone, yeah? Like someone's playing like, what's it called? The Mortal Kombat trilogy. You sit, mm-hmm. or take it. You sit behind yeah. them, yeah? And you're like, yo, yo, can, can I play? And they'd be like, no. They'd be like, yo, yo, can I play now? Can I play? Can I play? They're like, no, no, no. I'm playing my friend. I'm playing like... Let's just play four of us. Let's just play. Let's just play. Now let's just play. Like no, 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 no. And then when they're tired, because the TV goes off. The TV's on a timer, ain't it? Yeah. And the TV just goes off, and then they get up, and then you just get up and you're, t- oh yeah, pass the part. It's my turn. It's my turn. Because because you paid to play after them, but you don't yes. tell them. <laughs> so then when when the TV goes over, they get up, they're like, oh oh oh, it's your turn. And you're like, yeah, you. We could have all been playing for four hours together, but you just just be stupid. So you know what I'm saying? You can you can watch us now. You can watch us now. <laughs> You can, I think I did you that. My friend, <laughs> you, my friend, I can watch that. us play the game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. I, re- uh, I remember doing that once. At least I remember doing that at least once. <laughs> no, that, no, you know what I'm saying? Long throat is a powerful thing. It's you know? better. Long, 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 long throat. Long throat. Yeah. You should have given me when you had the chance. Yeah. Yeah, man. Well, that's the process. <laughs> Man, I haven't thought about that for a long time. Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's, why, it's why this podcast exists. No. <laughs> Bring back such fun, crazy memories. <laughs> so, still staying in Benin City, um, another thing about, uh, uh, I believe that's when your creative juices uh, began, or your, your, your or like um, the awesome... Roger Robinson likes to say you're becoming a creative citizen. Began mm. to uh, you began to explore your creative your creative citizenship. Was it was in Benin City that it began, right? Um, you know what? I would say yes, actually, because um, so I I I think I'm. I, as an, I'm not sure if this is kind of like specific to Nigerianness, but I see it in a lot of Nigerians. So I'm just going to say it's in Nigerian team. Like we thrive in conflict. I think, mm-hmm. you know, in every Nigerian is an Igbo man and Igbo are absolutely the best in like, you know, I'm coming up with a creative solution to predicament. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, um, when I was in secondary school, um, I, all I hated every English teacher apart from one, an Irishman called Mr. Isit. And Mr. Isit had really pushed me, right? To like from a not in the kind of like oh push me like he because you know all the rest they push you with koboko. They like they whip you and then suddenly oh, yeah. you get because you don't want to get yeah. koboko. But Mr. Isit was the most interesting in, in literature and everything. Yeah, no, like <laughs> Mr. Isit was the only person who didn't use humiliation. He just used encouragement. He used to put stars in our books if we got 
10 out of 10. And that really, come, you know, really pushed me. And by the time when I used to do it, you know, he gave praise out so liberally that in my head, it, you know what I'm saying? When you're, when you're not used to getting it and someone gives it so much, it, you, you get a weird kind of balance, like you didn't earn it. And so you don't really pay attention to it. So as much as I appreciated him, I didn't really kind of pay attention to the fact that he was trying to kind of like bulk me up and give me a lot of encouragement. So when I got my next English teacher, who was again in Nigeria, a Benin man who, who again, over-educated motherfucker who didn't achieve, he, he didn't become the next Wole Soyinka and he decided to take it out on his, teach, on his students. Yeah. Right? yeah. <laughs> he told us to write a letter. So I wrote this letter. Now here's the thing. I did not pay attention to what I was doing when I wrote this letter. I just wrote a normal letter. I just wrote like, you know, oh, okay, cool. This is person, blah, blah, blah. I sent it off, you know, to be marked. He gave me a zero out of 10 and said that I, 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 I stole this letter from somewhere else. Wow. Now, you tell me the letter is bad, I would have been like, okay, the letter is bad because I didn't even know what I did. You tell me the letter, you know, it could be better. Of course, anything can be better. But you tell me I stole it. Hey, I chased this man down. I said, prove to me that I stole this letter. You have to show me where I took it because I came up with everything. And then, you know, he was like, suddenly he went from, oh, you stole the letter to, you are being disrespectful to your elders. Punish me. But you know when you you told me me to kneel down, hands up, close my eyes. Even then, I'm there, kneeling down, hands up, close my eyes. I'm like, I'm I'm good at this. He, He saw I was good. That's why. He just didn't think I was capable of doing this, right? So from that point, I didn't really focus. I mean, I was still in kind of like Nigerian brain, which is I'm going to become a doctor, a lawyer, or an engineer because I have to make money. But yeah. part of my brain was kind of like, if I wanted to, I can do this. And I carried that all into London until I got my opportunities. Mm. That was very important that you caught that early. Um, Not early enough. Well, I think that's, that's, that's where a lot of us who grew up in that society tend to have that, uh, that, that conflict. I mean, someone like me, way back in Nigeria, you know, I had an uncle who, that guy, we, we, we never got along. We never, he, he, he was an uncle via marriage to my aunt. And the guy didn't like me, just to be honest. <laughs> there was no way the guy liked me. But um, once in a while, the guy, the guy recognized that I knew what I was talking about when it came to sports he knew i was talking about uh, um uh current affairs so and he, he had he, he was retired from um the state river states uh, from the defunct river state broadcasting services but government owed him pension so they were always fighting in court with their group that uh, they never paid and then he got his big break in biosas um state newspaper they made him in charge of that and then his head, it just went to his head. Like, he got access to money now. So, babes, this guy was trying to fight with me over the, any girl I was chasing and all that kind of stuff. So, I was like, I don't know what his plan is. But once one day, he just, like, woke up out of the blue and said, I'm going to the, the new River State Broadcasting Services, and my friend is in charge of a program. He's going to put you in, on the radio. I said, what? He said, oh, yeah, wow. I'm taking you to the radio station. This, But it didn't occur to me then that like, this guy has a network. He has the connections. He can put me... He, he recognized that I have the talent and he wants me to be in, in broadcasting. So he won't, but he's always, he was always attacking me because everything I did was like, you know, you're bad, you're a bad boy, you're always insulting me. So why is this guy going to be the one to give me an opportunity? So I ran away on the day of the day he was supposed to take me, I disappeared. 
<laughs> I said, no, wow. this guy is probably going to embarrass me. Now I can look back and say, I understand. In his, it was on a network opportunity. He, he had an opportunity he was creating, but this guy was treating me bad. So there's no way I could put those two together and say, he was creating an opportunity at the same time. Because this is a guy who, you know, when, when um, your elder is coming back from work, and you know you go out of you, you go pick up his bag, take his bag, like welcome home kind of thing. If he if he has money, you you know when he has money, he, he's not gonna let you hold that bag. <laughs> Hell no. Yeah, he's, no, yeah. He, he lock that bag. <laughs> <laughs> carry everything. But no. I'm like, dude, we know you carry money. That's how we know you're carrying money because. The, the way he's gonna lock that bag is like hell. When a young woman shows up, then he, he's gonna relax, like, yeah, have the bag. I'm like, <laughs> just let the woman carry the bag. <laughs> so, how's that the person who's now one day out of the blue is just rough? Let's go to this radio station. My friend does a, a show. I think you'll be good on that show. I'm like, are you offering me a job? Uh, is this an opportunity? I, I, I don't get it. But you've always insulted me. You've never said anything good about me. And the office audience is like, this guy knows sports. You should be on a sports show. How am I going? You know, my mind is not going to work. How are you going to relate to that? How are you going yeah. to take so that? So decades later, I'm like, oh, so, oh, this is, uh, okay, I get it. But he's dead now. So I'm like, no, whatever. <laughs> I'm sorry, but like, there's a whole, there's a whole story about how like, you know, um, older Nigerians, the way they treated younger Nigerians. Oh, yeah. And, and that kind of inherited trauma that, that completely messed us up and made us, you know, um, deal with, uh, just made us look at our relationship with them in a very, very skewed and a very, very antagonistic manner. Like, mm -hmm. you know, and that's only because of the relationship they had with their parents. And sure. the, the idea of being able to say, ah, oh, you are good at this. Let me help you do it. No, it's not like that. It's like, no. you want to be a footballer. You just want, you, you think you're kind of one go You're not kind of one go You think, oh. I could do that. Look at me. I'm just a bus driver. You want to be kind of one call. Yeah, stupid thing. Oh. And, then, and then two days later, he's like, I've got you a coach. You are playing for the, you are playing for the Super Eagles. You're like, how did this happen? <laughs> what? Where's the encouragement? Where's the chat in between? Well, it's like my teacher, like, you know what I'm saying? It's like, you know, instead of saying, oh my God, you did this well. Let me see yeah. how you, let me see, tell me how you did it. No, straight. It's a lie. It's a lie. You didn't put it off. And yeah, man, that's, there's a, the, I think if you're going to study, if you're going to study what's it called, psychology in Nigeria, you will have so many subjects. Like Oh, wait, wait, wait too many. <laughs> you, you better be studying with like five people because you, 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 know you can't. You, there's too much load. To you, come with two, you come with two <laughs> heads because you know one head is going to Bafuka by the by the end of it. Oh, I'm telling you because like I've I've mentioned this before on the podcast. Uh, you know, like when you talked about the the cassettes, uh, the videotapes. You know, the, uh, when I was getting a little bit older and I started discovering the videotapes we had in the house, I discovered that my brother had been recording Olympics. And I start watching the Olympics. So I see, oh, 100 meters, 200 meters, 400 meters. I'm excited by this. And I'm even more excited than that modern football. And all of a sudden, I think it was uh, 1989, my elder sister asked me, you know, I'm, I'm like eight, nine years old. She asked me like, uh, what do you want to be when you grow up? What do I know about that age? I don't really know. I don't, I don't have anything finalized then. But I, I've been watching 100 uh, Olympics for like five, six days in a row. And what was the first thing I would say? I want to be a 100 meters or 200 meters athlete. I'm excited mm -hmm. to say that. 
She says, ah, okay. She's 16 years older than I am. She says, okay. And she walks away. And I go play with the kids, come back from playing that evening. The whole family is gathered in the living room. They call me. What do you say you want to be when you grow up? Oh, I want to be a 100 meters or 200 meters champion. I think I'll set a new world record. I can run faster than Carl uh, 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 Lewis. That was my man then, uh, Ben Johnson. I'm just running my mouth. Do you know that is dropouts, people who cannot go to university that run 100 meters or 200 meters? I said, okay, then I'll, I'll play football. I'll, I'll be better than uh, uh, Roger Miller, and I'll score more goals in the World Cup, and I'm just, this boy, what you can't, they just start hitting me from all sides of, like, and I'm like, I was age eight or nine. <laughs> what did I know? <laughs> I'm just a kid. No, I'm saying like, they just start oh. shooting me down, and okay, if I catch you playing football, or if I catch you running, and that's how the self-confidence just like defeated me. And yeah, I, I, I was saying I would have been the best player or anything, but that's how I literally, if they, they literally they caught me playing, I got I got beat. Yeah, the beat I, started. Used a, I used to be a violinist when I was younger. Wow, you know, and yeah. now, now I play football with the dads in my neighborhood, boys for fun. And that yeah, I'm having fun, I'm loving it. And people are like, oh man, you're good. I'm like, uh, I'm glad the Nigerian part of me makes me good, but you know. Uh, I, I stopped playing for over 20 years. <laughs> Until oh, wow. one day, I was an adult and said, why am I not playing? I want to have fun. And I'm just, I don't care if I look good or not, but I'm just going to play. And I play. Fuck it. I'm just playing for fun. People say you're bad as a Nigerian. Well, whatever. And it's Nigerian for them that I'm bad anyway. But uh, fuck it. I'm just having fun. I don't care what you say. And I love it. I'm having fun. But, you know, but I got bashed for it all these years. And guess what? It was when I was... 17 or 18, my elder sister, I'm in a house, I'm doing dishes, and I have the sports radio on, and they are talking about the highest paid players in the world. And they mentioned that the highest paid player, um, this was 99 uh, in Badon, and uh, they said the highest paid player in the world was being paid 90,000 pounds a week, British pounds a week. And she was like, oh my God, is it true? What about you? I thought you used to be crazy about football. Don't you, you don't play anymore. Now, I don't subscribe to eating women. I've said this before. And in my mind, I literally like, pow! <laughs> That's what I did. I like smashed her head with that place. Like, what the hell? Because I remember that meeting just flashed my head when I was eight, nine years old. She was the one that led the gang up to cuss me out for saying. And I was like, so you heard how much the, the highest paid player has been paid? Then that's why you want to just jump on me now. Like, you don't play anymore. Why don't you play? Why you do it? Oh, no. yeah, and you know what? I'll go back to washing the dishes. <laughs> but, like, oh, you just heard how much the highest paid player has been paid. So, why aren't you playing? Why aren't you playing? Yeah. No, yeah. I, I completely understand that, Yans. And so it's yeah. the same thing because if somebody has, oh, the, uh, uh, was it a violinist? Uh, no, you did the violin. Uh, sorry, was it violin you said he played? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I played, I played violin. My dad's, you know. I mean, uh, I could have been. Obviously, it's like I didn't have my own, my own personal violin, so that pretty much kind of like that put a hole in everything. Like, if you can't go home and practice, then yeah. just no, we don't consider that. Though. We don't consider all those. Yeah, and obviously, it's my just, dad. We just see that one violin is is making one million dollars. No, hey, Josh, when, what? You used to play violin when you were a child. Why did you stop? <laughs> eh? You stopped. Why did you stop? Why are you not playing? 
Oh, this guy. Well, you will could have been making. Look at your mate is making one million. <laughs> no, ma- oh, but you know what? One day I will find my mate and I will kill him, so no one can see my. Mate. <laughs> one day I will find my mate. Yeah, I will find him. Like, you are my mate. Hey, because I've been telling everybody you are not my mate, but you are my mate. You are going to die. I just kill you. Then I will never have to hear that again in my life. Your oh, mate. Man. Hey, my 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 mate. My mate went to went to you know. They they got support from their parents. Yeah. People skip all those parts. You know, when I was in Ibadan, and I took, uh, after I took my first um, uh, Wayek, I didn't do good my first Wayek. I didn't do good my second either. But there was a guy who took his first Wayek, and he got um, eight, no, out of the eight subjects, he got seven A's and one B. And he, he jumped in front of a train and took his life. Oh. Because he was afraid to go home. I think oh. he lived in uh, one of the nearby towns. And it was on the news. And you know, people were calling in, like, well, what is wrong with that child? What's wrong with that boy? Yeah? What kind of these children? All oh, these is it is in America? Does he think this is America? Like, and you know, then I was like, what is wrong with the boy, too? I was like, I would have died. I only got two A's in my result. I, and I, I couldn't go home because I knew they were going to cuss me out because everybody in my family obviously got eight A's. <laughs> Nobody got, nobody got one, one A, although the person who cussed me out the most. I will find out later, like 10, uh, five or six years later, that himself and my elder sister got, went to university the same year. He was 40 years old. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even know how many years I got. I, I think and I got... It's, it's how many years later then I realized that, wait, why did that boy take his life? It was the way he had been talked to all these years. And when you start laying this example for them, and then you're not surprised that, oh, the kid reacted this way. Hmm. Then people are like, oh, but why did he do it? I'm like, um, what did you what did you tell the what did you tell the kid this is how it's supposed to be? Yeah. You know? So like some people, people get mad at me now that I have a child, because you know, I used to be the guy who said I will never have a child. And you know, I found the right person to have a child, then it happened. So yeah, I have a child now. Mm-hmm. And they asked me, Do you beat your child? I said, For what? Why? What what will I gain by beating my child? Oh, you don't you're in Nigeria, you don't beat your child. You've ch- you've changed into an American. Ah, this guy become a white guy. Yeah, uh, well, you know, see white Peking. White Peking, they becomes president of America. Uh, how many black? Peking, how many black Peking became president? I'm telling you. American. How many American Peking become president? They become prime minister. They become mm-hmm. they become engineer. They become basketballers. They become. I'm sorry, like you know, Ola Juwan. If his yeah. parents, if he had like proper Nigerian, not a Nigerian American, if he had proper Nigerian parents, if Olajuwon was in Nigeria and was playing basketball in Nigeria, do you think his parents would have let him become a basketballer? Hell no. Doctor, lawyer, engineer, basketballer. Like, really? Accountant. You are accountant. You are bouncing a ball. You are bouncing a ball up and down. That's your job. That's the job you want to do. Which family meeting are you going to tell everybody that you bounce ball up and down? Like what? Basketball in university. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, which kind of university teach you how to basketball up and down? We are going to study how to. Up and down. to university to become accountant. Uh, okay, petroleum engineer. We are yeah, petroleum engineer. Yeah. See, see your mate, your your mate is petroleum engineer. You are you are going to to learn how to dunk. You are going to yeah, dunk. Dunk your homework, Jare. What is that? Eh? What, what can you do with that? You can't do anything with that. Until they see the, somebody, ah, he bought motor, he bought a car, 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 he b
God is no, good. I'm, ah, it's it's so like it's so crazy. I'm, mm. I'm in Port Harcourt, you know. Yeah, I, I see. Um, um, I forgot her name. She she was. Uh, I think she's retired now. She used to be in the WNBA, but big car for her family and all that. They, that's when it's like, oh, okay, now it's cool for women to play basketball. Otherwise, why women? Why was she playing basketball? Why is she not doing? I'm like, when do you guys go learn all this? Until uh, what's her name? One Miss World. Uh, the, uh, the 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 Nigerian girl that won the, the Miss World uh, '99 or 2000 beauty pageants. All they were considering on is why why would why why are they showing bikinis? Eh? Why you get naked? And I'm like, mm. uh, but in the village, <laughs> what are women wear? When we're doing our dances, what do they wear? We don't complain about that. Uh, that's not different. That's different. I'm like, yeah, we we well, the way we just create that relationship to push people down is you know. But it's something that we've passed on from one person to another. So, like sometimes it's why you know when I'm, I attend some webinars or some seminars, and it's supposed to be all pro African, and they're like, "Oh, everybody go back home." And so I put speaking. I bring this topic up, like, "Okay, so if we say everybody go back home, like, uh, so do we do all this stuff stop, or do we push all this stuff aside, or do we do we do we do we address these issues of how we talk to our younger ones? Do we?" You know, is it gone? Is it at the window now? Or mm. oh, we'll, we'll talk about that later on. Said, oh, okay, because you know what's coming. If we, if we can't talk about that now, then we, we we know the people we already discriminated against. That is cool, discriminated against. We haven't got to that portion already, because while I was in Benin, that's the first time I ever met uh, LGBT uh, LGBTQ people. I didn't even know they existed until because my my number one job was to pray against them. Pray against them. That, now, now it makes sense why I was given that task in the family, the family prayer. <laughs> Send them all to hell, born in hellfire. And I realized that <laughs> now, now it makes sense why that was part of the prayer points because there was somebody in the family who was gay. And then when a gay man comes to the house one day and he he looks more feminine than every man I've met, and I'm like, why you talk like a woman? That's if I'm a teenager now. That's the first thing I say to him, and he's laughing because it's like this guy doesn't know who's in his house. And I'm like, huh? and when I tell my elder sister, of course, that one's like, shut up, don't talk about that. And then when I find out, oh, we have somebody in the house who will be sending, I'm sending you to Hellfire. Oh no. Oh my God. I don't want to send you Hellfire anymore. <laughs> I want to change my prayer point. And then the family is like, okay, yes, you can change your prayer point. Jesus will save him, but we'll send another person to Hellfire. No, nah, I don't feel comfortable doing that anymore. Let's, uh, <laughs> Let's, <laughs> can we, I don't, I, I, I want to save every other person too. No, we'll burn every other person and then we'll save this one in the house. Yep, I, I guess that's where the cracks, that's how my cracks began with the whole, <laughs> the whole in school, I was going to, what of it, you know, it's a Christian school. You know, the day I, we do home economics, you, you, they said bring pictures to make a collage. So I bring my, well, the gay guy had all the magazines in the house, Cosmopolitan and all that stuff. So I took one of his magazines, you know, cutting pictures out. This teacher is walking by. What are you looking at? You're looking at pornography. There's a woman in a bikini. How do you even know what pornography looks like, by the way? <laughs> and then he takes it from me. You bad boy. You bad boy. You're lucky I don't want to beat you. And he takes a magazine away. So I'm like, how am I going to do my homework? So I go with the teacher. And he's like, why are you still here? I said, I want a magazine back. I need the pictures. There are women, there are men, people in clothes and outfits. I want to cut the pictures out. So I need to take it out. 
He's like, this is, these are bad pictures. I'm like, how is it bad? This is a Christian school. Okay, so we can look at people in pictures. There are naked people in this picture, in this magazine. How do you know? <laughs> what have you been looking at, sir? <laughs> you want to tell us how, what you've been looking at? You are challenging. You don't have respect for your elders. Then that, they don't start throwing that in there. Like, but that's how they just, you know, be beating us down, beating us down. And then it becomes, you know, people can't uh, uh, challenge authority. Like, you know, and then later on, you start finding out people got raped in schools. People got abused because they use all that. Don't challenge your authority. Don't this and mm -hmm. don't. And then you start, oh, wait. This was going on at the same time while I was in the school. I was just lucky because some of us accepted. Some of us chose not to, you know, and then, you know, oh, this was all part of it. Because that's how they make it part of the language. Don't challenge. Don't accept accept it. Accept the beating. And then you start seeing, like, because that's it's all part of this NSAS, too, because that's the NSAS, too. It's part of the language they use, too. Mm. You know, they beat you with that. Don't challenge. Accept it. Accept the line to the line to the line and th that's why it's important that we have people like you who are creative because you guys use you guys surpassed uh the the bs and started challenging it and you know went ahead Look, people like me it will take a while you know I, I will one day say yes i say no yes no yes no but i fought against it but it still take me a while to finally accept that <laughs> i was going to challenge it <laughs> uh, mm. but well we are glad we finally made it out, though. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's an ongoing struggle. Making it out is a, you know, that's subjective term, but I know what you mean. But I mean, making it out of the bubble, not uh, <laughs> physically out of. Yeah, I see. Yeah, see what you mean. Cool. Because cool. there are people in there who who are still doing the work on the ground, and yeah, I support them all the time and I encourage them because ah, it's not easy, as we mm. say it. As many people say, "Oh my easy, oh my easy." Ah, but um, yeah, before I dive into the UK, um, we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. Hi, everyone. Your host, Raphael Harry here. I can't believe we've gone past our one year anniversary of doing White Label American. I've had the privilege of speaking with some amazing people sharing their modern-day immigrant stories and you've allowed this Nigerian immigrant to share parts of his immigrant journey through this podcast. Also, one of my goals of this podcast is breaking down artificial walls that keep people from getting to understand each other. Based on your wonderful feedback over the last year, I think we have done a decent job in breaking down some of those walls. We would like to continue and expand on this mission, but we need your help. I've had an amazing time creating and producing episodes for this show largely on my own. We have a lot of ideas for new and exciting content to expand upon the mission, but we need direct support from you, our listener which is why we have created a White Label American Patreon page where you can make a one-time donation or become a sustaining contributor where you can get access to exclusive content, help me interview upcoming guests by submitting questions, and 
even have the chance to sit down with me for a one-on-one -on -one conversation, either virtually or in studio. So if this podcast means something to you, and if you really love this show, think about becoming a sustaining contributor and donating by going to patreon.com slash white label American POD. Thanks for listening and for the privilege of your company. Okay, so we are back. Uh, welcome back. And um, all right, so now let's dive into the UK. So you left uh, Niger. Some people, don't, some people get mad at me when I say Niger. But, you know, I'm, I'm like, yeah, please, don't be mad. mad at me. Get mad at uh, Buari. Don't be mad at me. So you left Niger in 1999. That's when I left the Badon, funny enough, officially oh, wow. for Patakot. Mm -hmm. I became a Pitakwa boy then. Uh, but I came, I came back to Benin in 1999. Uh, I came into the 2000s and I, I went to um, Dowser's Church for end of year service. Mm -hmm. for a reunion of my boys and girls. I couldn't recognize the girls. I hadn't seen them since 96. They had all changed. They all grown. But they all recognized me, funny enough. That's when I knew I was a little bit popular. So on your arrival to the UK, did you go back to your, your former neighborhood or was it a new place you moved to? No, yeah, we went back to Hackney. Um, oh, well, we went back to Hackney, uh, East London, and I was there for a while because um, uh, I had to do um, I had to do my A levels. I don't even know why I did my, but apparently it was like I, I arrived and I was like, oh. I did my WIAC, I passed, I got, you know, I'm, I can go into any university and everyone was like, no, these are the right stats. You need to kind of like do, you know, two years of A-levels. So I did two years of A-levels, um, which was fun. And then I took a year out and um, gap year. And then I uh, studied at the University of Bolton. So I had to travel down to like uh, Bolton, close to Manchester. I did a year there and that. I came back to London to do a year, uh, to do my remaining two years at the University of Roehampton. So what was the first shock that you, you, you had? Like, so now, was it like a reverse culture shock on returning back to the UK? Reverse culture? No, I mean, yes or no? Yes or no? Like, I remember going to... Because uh, the thing was, I had not been to Lagos for a very long time. So there's a lot of... The, U the UK kind of looked like a cleaner Lagos. Yeah, in, in many respects, so that kind of tempered it a bit. The weather, right, and a lot of the cobblestones was a bit was exciting to see. The only real culture shock I say I, I would say I had was when I went to Leicester Square, because you know you go to Leicester Square, Piccadilly Circus. That was the bright. That's the brightest part of London, really. Like it's all just proper high street commercial fucking capitalism at its glitty glittiest. It's like. Someone decided to make a miniature Times Square. That's what it looked like. It was just bare colors, heavy granite, fountains, people, you know, girls in mini skirts and everything. And like, yeah, that was, I think that was the first one I had. There was another one that happened to me when I, because I, I worked as a glass collector in a, in a bar. That was my first job. Glass collector in a bar called Strawberry Mount. And they got me on on a Thursday night. And Thursday night was the LGBT night. Mm. And so, you know, I'm there picking up glasses and then there's this girl, she gives me a glass and she's like, you know, 
you look cute. Now, I got a massive hard on, innit? Because I'm like, girls just say I'm cute. I went from Christian, <laughs> Christian boy. Christian boy, no people doesn't even talk to girls. So there's a fine girl, short hair. She's telling me I'm cute. So I'm like, oh, yeah, it's going to happen. You know, I'm going to get a number. Next thing I know, the girl's kissing another girl. I'm like, what the? And then I notice everybody's kissing everybody, but it's only guys kissing guys and girls kissing girls. I'm like, oh, shit. I mean, that was that was a, a real shock. I mean, that was a real moment where, I, you know, I had seen a lot of, obviously, I'd seen a lot of LGBT cinema because my dad owned films. I'd read a lot about it. Mm-hmm. I, I still had a lot of homophobia that I had to kind of unravel because I'd come from a, a very homophobic environment. And so yeah. with a lot of that homophobia that was already ingrained in me. But I did, I, uh, to my credit, I did still believe like live and let live and everybody deserves a chance to be happy. I just hadn't confronted it. So for me, it was just, I remember I used to just stand and stare at people snogging. Like even, even the idea of snogging, I'd been seeing people snogging in real life before. Like I had never seen two people in face snogging. So for me, it was just like, oh, is that how the lips work? Oh, is that how the tongues work? Oh, guys kissing guys. Does, does he like the mustache? You know what I'm saying? How, how does he deal with it? Oh, oh my God. Wow. This is all interesting. Am I aroused? I'm not aroused. Why am I not aroused? I mean, fine. It's like, that guy looks like a girl. That girl looks like a guy. I'm so confused. So yeah, that, that was a, it wasn't as big a shock as I as I expected it to be, but it was mm-hmm. one nonetheless. I think the biggest one was just I had a proper kind of like, you know, boy stands in the middle of massive Times Square and the camera pans around him moment when I first got to Leicester Square. Because again, also it was in Christmas, so all the lights were on, all the streets mm. were decorated with lights. Yeah. And, and it was fucking cold. So yeah. That was yeah, that. I think even uh, I was a bit lucky that even though I was in the, I was also raising the, the homophobic culture, I was also breaking out of it. So by the time I left Nigeria, I, I, I now lost someone who was a little bit close to me and um, the argument had been over, excuse me, two, um, two girls who were caught making out at um, University of um, um, uh, Owey, Federal University of Owey, and mm-hmm. they got expelled and the girls decided to sue the university. And it was in the newspapers, and you know, the, this girl, she was like uh, what we call Ron's girls, you know, dating married, regular dating of married men. And mm-hmm. uh, I'd covered for her one time when one of the married men's wives came to look for her. So she was like, Wow, how dare they have, uh, how, uh, how dare the girls be bold enough to sue university? They're lucky they didn't get beat up or killed or that kind of thing. And I was like, How, why, why are you even talking? You're the one who, <laughs> if you're calling it a sin, I mean, you date married men. We all know you date married men. You know, it's not mm-hmm. like an open, it's, it's not like an open secret. But we don't judge you for that. So couldn't we say, can we not apply? Is it not a sin? I thought if you're going by the Bible, you know, what you're doing is sin. I should like, oh no, it's different because uh, I, I'm only committing a lesser sin. There's the highest. Like, where is this highest? This ranking of sin. Where did we, where did this ranking of sin come from? And that became a big argument. So she like actually got some neighbors like, I think this guy is gay. I think he's gay because he's siding with these girls. And I'm like, it didn't make sense to me. So it became a big argument. And she's like, I won't talk to you anymore. Uh-huh. And this was like a few months before I would leave Nigeria. She didn't know I was about to leave Nigeria because, you know, back then, you, you don't tell people you're leaving. <laughs> you, don't, you don't want any bad luck. <laughs> you don't say, 
that you're living. So um, yeah, we, we couldn't uh, rectify it. But you know, but even when I arrived in the states, uh, by then uh, the, the gay member of the family he was already in the states. So my very first weekend, he took me to a gay club in DC. And uh, it, yeah, even even no matter how your mind, even if you have the mindset of yeah, let gay people live, let gay people do their thing, I still wasn't at that level of gay people have a right to get married. But I said that gay people have the right to exist. But I don't think I was at the, I, don't, I don't think I, had, I was of the mindset that gay people had the right to get married. So, but he took me to, to a gay club and it was like, you know, other, other drinks with me. And I was like, oh, I'm in a club in America. Yeah, I'm happy. And then he was like, guess, you do like this day? But I'm like, oh, I guess. I'm, I'm not going to say no. It's like everybody here is looking at you like fresh meat. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm fresh in America. He's like, uh, yeah, but have you noticed something? I was like, what? You ain't noticed that uh, all the girls are with girls, all the boys are with boys? I'm like, oh, well, what I mean? He's like, it's a gay club. I'm like, oh, why you bring me here? <laughs> that was the first thing I said. Why you bring me here, man? Like, I just wanted to experience something. That's when I was saying in my mind, like, oh, so he's really gay. <laughs> I guess now in Nigeria, because in Nigeria, he, he would say, okay, I'm not gay today. So I guess for his protection, he would deny it sometimes. And then sometimes he would come out and say, I'm gay. And later I said, I'm not. But now I was like, oh, he's really gay. That was the first time I said, he was really gay. I'm like, oh. Oh, okay. Well, I guess uh, ain't no problem. I'm still gonna. Drink. You pay for the beer? Okay, I'll, I'll drink the beer then. And hmm. but after that, it wasn't an issue for me. But sometimes I would still like revert back. And then by the time it was announced that you know gay uh, gay marriage was legal, by then I was like, I'm I'm cool with it. It's not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I don't have an issue. But I still had to learn the language to use around gay people, and it took me a little bit to get comfortable. But there were still steps I had to take and. I learned that, yeah, not everything was 100% with me, but there was still some internal homophobia that still mm. existed in, 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 within me. Yeah, man. Like, I think uh, there, needs to be, uh, there needs to be a space that, uh, what's it called, people like myself and, and, and you and who grew up in the 80s and possibly the 90s uh, uh, can sort of deprogram a lot of the homophobia that they have grown up with. And I don't think that space should be inhabited by, um, it shouldn't be up to people from the LGBT community to have to do that because they have to deal with our, you know, trauma just existing. So, you know, they shouldn't be responsible. It's the same way I think like um, women shouldn't be the ones to educate men that, you know, women should be treated with respect. Men should educate men that women should be, you know, we should police ourselves. I mean, oh, yeah. in the same way, like, white people should police themselves. They shouldn't be expecting black people to come and teach them. Oh, yeah. I've had a lot of in, ingrained sexism, and a lot of it that's been unraveled has been due to other men who've kind of, like, challenged me and questioned me and pulled me up and, and told me, I remember the first time I used the F word, it was a straight guy who was like, yo, you don't say that. And I was like, no, Eminem said it. And he's like, so what? It doesn't matter. You're not Eminem. And even if Eminem said it, Eminem's a dick. Don't say it. And, you know, it was because I had someone like someone who was straight, who's, you know, was like oh, me. Corrected. Yeah. And was, was willing to kind of like stick his neck out and just tell me straight up, yo, you don't talk like that. That it, it, not immediately, but it did give me pause to talk. Like, you know, actually, okay, so this guy has called me up. Maybe this isn't this isn't a good thing. 
Yeah, I, I think that, that that's a very uh, valid point that you make because uh, all these things that I experienced will help me by the time I would join the Navy. I, that wasn't like on my mind, but I joined the Navy when like uh, the last year or two before Don't Ask, Don't Tell was repealed. Uh-huh. So like I took part in the survey that um, asked for the Don't Ask, Don't Tell, like how was I comfortable with Don't Ask, Don't Tell being repealed. And I'm like, hell yeah, what, 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 it's not disturbing me. But I got to work with somebody who was gay and he didn't hide it when Don't mm. Ask, Don't Tell was like the last moment before it got repealed. And I was a supervisor by then and somebody like tried to make noise about it. Like uh, this guy is not, like my, my boss actually called me and said, the guy we sent to your shop, is he, there's something about him. He, he, he's acting. I said, I know what you're trying to say and I'm not going to say it. But whatever <laughs> you're thinking is, I'm pretty sure it, it is what you're thinking. But let's see how it works. Uh, we need to see if he can do the job and if he can do the job, then I'm fine. He's like, okay, if, if you have any problem, uh, let me know. And I'm like, whatever and the guy got to be one of the best people who walked under me he was a white guy i was expecting him to give me hell he didn't he, he if i told him this is what i needed to do he did he did everything and he, he performed but there were people who like hey i don't feel safe going to the bathroom with this guy I said, well why are you wow. you expect me to just jump on you <laughs> like what what's what he gonna do <laughs> what is he gonna do like what exactly is it and like the older guy who came to fight with him, they actually had a, a verbal sparring match one, one day. Uh, he was retired, but we have some retired contractors work with us. And he was like, in my time, in my time, you, you people like you, you need to talk like a man. They talk like a man. I'm like, oh, what? I started calling him outside. I said, hey, what's the problem? He said, you don't walk like a man. You don't talk like a man. I said, um, first of all, we have a job to do. And he does the job. He's one of the best performers here. So... Uh, the, the 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 job specification doesn't say walk like a act like a man or act like a woman. It says do the job, and he's doing the job. It says do the job. Exactly, so yeah. what exactly is your problem? Where he he don't sound. Uh, uh, what exactly is your problem? He don't sound. Uh, what exactly is your problem? Is he doing the job or is not doing the job? Well, mm-hmm. okay. I'm gonna report him to the master chief. He's my he's my body. Okay, go report him. Because the master chiefs, they go come to me and ask, what is your opinion on this guy? Can he do the job or can he not do the job? Is he saving us money or is he costing us money? And if I say it's costing us money, then he's done. If I say it's not costing us money, then you're the one who's done. So what's it going to be? And he's like, oh, man. He's adjusting his stupid because he was wearing a stupid. And I was like, oh, all right, bye. Get out. <laughs> but mm-hmm. after I did that, it was like something twisting me and said, you know, you stood up for somebody who you, normally you wouldn't have stood up for that person. You would have sided with the people who were toxic to the guy. And did the world end? No. So maybe you, you can move on from there. And, you know, and there are bigger things to focus on. And I, I told the guy, like, yeah, don't come after my people like that again. Just, you know, I, we are here to do a job. We got to focus on the job. And I don't like you coming after my people. Don't come after my people. Go on. That's it. As simple as that. But I think the guy saw that I stood up for him. And because they all, we had a team and I'm standing up for the whole team. It's not just one person I'm standing up for. And the more people do that for the rest of the team, you know, because you stand for one, then the rest of the team start, okay, we have a guy who stands, the boss who stands for us. We're going to stand for the boss too. And, you know, it, it becomes something that, you know, it's now individuals doing one thing. But that's not how we're taught in boot camp. But this guy, like, talk like a man. I'm like, what do you mean, talk like a man? 
he's doing the job. He, he walks like a man, looks like a man. So <laughs> what exactly is, did you try to sleep with him and he didn't act like a man with you or what? So, even need, I mean, does it even matter if he, have, if he walks, talks and looks like a man? If he does the job, just that's straight up. That's the yeah, only thing that you know, Like I, like, I didn't even know in the Navy that um, uh, women could get breast augmentation. It was a girl that told me that. So when someone was complaining, like, oh, I, I think trans, uh, trans military people uh, don't deserve to have uh, uh, their, 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 their penis um, surgery and all that. And I was like, uh, so how do you feel about women having their, their uh, breast sizes, uh, their breast augmentation? He was like, oh, really? They can do that? I was like, oh, by the way, you know that the biggest surgery the Navy pays for is for men who have... Um, yeah, their, their, uh, their dick don't, don't work no more. So they're, they're the, he was like, oh, I was like, okay, let's, let's pull up. So I pulled up the numbers and he said, yeah, it's men who are suffering trauma and yeah, they can't perform anymore. So the, the military paid for, for men to have their, yeah, their surgery done. Yeah. And it's like, oh, uh, yeah, now the argument is like, okay, well, uh, I understand about that, but these people, I'm like, there's not these people. If somebody was willing to put their life online for their country, uh, it don't matter. If they're LGBT, mm-hmm. true. He, he, just shut up. Let them do whatever. <laughs> just shut up, because they wouldn't. I wouldn't have done that if I was them. Uh, to be honest, I wouldn't. I, I don't want to put up. I can't put up with that stress. But they're willing to. So you shut up, because now you see that men are benefiting. Because men still benefit the most. <laughs> we are the ones who benefit the most at the end of the day. So the, the guy, the guy, like, oh, okay, yeah, I'm a, um, yeah. I'm like, hey, they're not even old men. I'm like, no, they're not old men. The young men who are having this surgery, when we 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 take up all the space and then we still shout at the minorities, mm. and then yeah, we're like, oh, uh, I, I did not know. I'm like, now you know, so you can't yeah, even have an excuse. Get out, <laughs> get out, <of> my face. <laughs> true, 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 true. Uh, I made enemies, but it was fun. <laughs> it was a good time. <laughs> so, um, how did you get started with? Your music, you know. Um, how did I get started with music? Well, I was doing poetry for a while, and um, I used to run a night called Poe Jazzy, and we had booked a guy called Dan Lasak. Um, sorry, booked a guy called Scrubius Pip, and he did a poem called um, "Thou Shall Always Kill." And then, um, as he had, he had performed it at our poetry event. It did. It went down very, very well. And I think a week later, because MySpace was a thing back then, he loaded oh, yeah. it up on MySpace. Uh, he had done a mix with a guy called Dan Lazak. They called it Dan Lazak versus Scrubius Pip. And it took off. It took off really hard. People just really loved it. And then the video as well was was just so irreverent and cool. And I remember at the time, you know, when he did that, I was like, oh, this is cool. I'd like to do something like this. And um, I had... Um, I had recorded a track called um, uh, This Is London. Um, and uh, be where we, uh, my, my brother had um, remixed um, a song by Afro, uh, an New York Afrobeats band called Antibalas. He remixed them. He made like a little hip hop kind of thing out of it. And uh, I did some poetry over it. And I remember I thought it was crap. I played it to another poet. Uh, A.F. Harold, who said, oh, my God, this is the best thing ever. I really love this, you know. And that gave me the confidence to stick up on MySpace. And, yeah, the response was quite good. 
And then, uh, you know, we carried on like that until I kind of felt I wanted, I wanted a live band. I wanted a, a, a live experience. And that was when I started looking for members to join what eventually became the band Benin City. Wow. So, was there any other name that you thought to go with? Or was, was oh, no, at one point someone mentioned electricity. So I said, hey, let's just call it Benin City. No one knows what Benin City is. And if we, if we think of a better name, we'll change it. And no one ever changed it. So it became still wow. Benin City. Yeah, that, I mean... That's how that band started. Uh, what's it called? All, all my bands have all been kind of like accidental. One, accidental, just kind of like um, by the by. Things that just happen randomly. And then on the other hand, my only, in, my own dogged insistent that I don't let it end. I don't want it to fail. Or, you know, I have to chase this, this particular pathway down to wherever the end may be. So started building City. I was like, well, this is me. I'm going to have to do this. And then, I wrote one song, which was like an R&B song, which at the time, Benin City was like a Afro-punk band. Mm-hmm. And so it didn't really fit. So I asked a friend, oh, do you know any pianists? Because I think I really like this, this song I've written and I'd like to kind of like perform it. And then me and him did it for a bit. And, you know, he, so he did it to someone called Andy. Andy came to my house. We walked to a couple of songs. We liked it. And then suddenly that became another band called Hugh. And then... While I was doing Benin City, I had um, worked, a, we did one track with a, a friend introduced me to a, a production group called LV. And because um, we wanted to kind of like get them to remix one of our tracks. And uh, one of them was like, oh, you write poetry. Do you want to record some of your poems? So I recorded a poem called um, Early Mob. And another, what's it called, label manager, I heard that poem. I was like, yo, you guys need to make an EP. And that became LV and Joshua Dan. And then, yeah, recently this year, um, I released an EP called Calabash, which was the result of me meeting a a dear friend of mine, Alabaster. And I I just walked up to him. I was like, yo, we need to work together. And then we made six tracks and put that out. (laughs) So how how do you maintain the chemistry of, Walking with uh, different bands. Um, I think you. For me, it has been um, collaboration and sort of like I've I've achieved. Okay, I've achieved more when I have held on to less, mm. and that's very hard for me because I'm very very I'm very confident about my ideas. I'm very very. I fight for my ideas. I push for my ideas. If I think something's a good idea, I push for it. And I, I fight hell, come hell or high water. But the good thing is that I've managed to work with people who are just as confident about their ideas. So really there's a big clash. And after that clash, something great comes out because what we end up coming up with is an amalgamation of our ideas. And, you know, as I've grown older, I've sort of, um, I've, enjoyed more that collaborative spirit and I found uh, a lot more creativity and a lot more production has come out of it because yeah other people see themselves in the work and um I I enjoy other people's I enter I, I get to enjoy other people's visions as well that's usually it it's like it's not really that hard to work with someone else you a you just have to be really confident that there's a reason why you're working with them there's a reason why you're in the room with them and B, you have to just kind of 
let go a lot, you know, like don't not try not to be so try not to let your low self-esteem and your ego kind of blind you to the overall product. I agree with that. Uh, it's uh, something that I, I apply to myself when uh, I approach other podcasters and um, other podcasters approach me. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Except if they are hoteps and I'm like, yeah, no, sorry, we ain't, we ain't, we ain't working together. <laughs> if, if, if you're advocating for the black man must have have the black woman beneath him and, and death to gay people, I'm like, yeah, yep, sorry, bro. We, we, we're not on the same boat. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, but yeah, yeah. what's it called? Um, that's, that's, uh, that's, um, I think, well, it's a standard. You, you always have to kind of work with people who are, who are of your level. You know, you have to be very, very specific about that. Like, mm-hmm. I've never, you know, if I don't enjoy someone's politics, it's really, I, it's impossible for me to work with them. That much I know. Yep. In, in the beginning, I was like, uh, uh, before I got into podcasting, you know, that was, that was one thing that uh, from, you know, my days in Nigeria, was one thing that I was, that was difficult for me to say no, how to say no, but it was mm-hmm. one thing I got to learn while in the Navy because I had to say no to a bunch of higher-ups yeah, without no, I- saying no. So it was like saying fuck you to, to them. And then I learned how to say it in a nice way with a smile. And yeah. I figured out, oh, I can take that. So once I got out into the civilian world and I was like, all right, I'm no longer wearing the uniform, um, saying no was no longer a problem. I, mm-hmm. got, I had the right to say no, and I said no. And like, now nah, I don't respect my daughter's no. She's only two years old. And yeah, she tells me no. I said, like, yeah, okay. Yeah. But except when it's time to change your, your diaper, then sorry, yeah, your, your yeah, butt has to be clean. If you can start, <laughs> you <can't. laughs> If you can start, the way I see is like if you can crawl, you can decide where you go. If you can stand, you can decide where you sit. If you can, right. if you can go to the toilet by yourself, you can decide what you put on, right? But she can't uh, go to the toilet by herself. You know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> you, only give, you, only them, you only give them as much what's it called as much um, uh, self control as they are able, to, as they are responsible for. Yeah. It's like. You know what I'm saying? If, if you can't turn on the stove, then I don't trust you with fire. So now, for the long term, are you based in Sweden? Uh, that's yes. another migration journey for you. No, no, I'm based. I'm based here. This is where I'm at. You know, um, gonna be married soon. Um, oh, congrats! Thank you, thank you. Gonna be married soon, and just yeah, basically, at the moment, just trying to sort up my my Swedish credentials and get that all in order. Like. I'm hoping to have this place as a proper, as my home, as my my first home. And I'll go back to UK every now and then, but yeah, I'm going to be living here. Do you mind me asking what city? In uh, city? Stockholm. Stockholm. Oh, Stockholm. All right. Um, I have um, um, uh, Malmo. It's a city that I've been invited to for like forever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, okay. I have a well, good friend. You have been invited to, you are now invited to Stockholm, Mikadi. Like if you want to come through, let, let your brother know. Uh, I, I, I come, I come. Uh, well, you can, you're offering to bake for me, or do I? I, I have some great cooking skills too. I if you will, provide I ingredients, will, I will bake. I will make rice and stew. I will make. I made my first. You know when you there's a difference between when you cook, yeah, and when you cook something that somebody else can look at and eat. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No. 
Now that you've mentioned that, let's let's just dive into your favorite dish. What's your favorite? Well, no, see, the thing is, like, I I can't. My, my favorite dish is about whatever my mom cooks. So let's not even mm. go. Like, yeah, the thing is, like, right? Uh, um, you know when you're watching MasterChef? Yeah. You you know how they make food like it's like it's a workout, like it's a painting. Yeah. This weekend, I did that for the first time. Oh wow! Like so, you know what I'm saying? Like I've not, I've not, I've not caramelized the the what's it called the the salmon, and then I stuffed the mashed potato into one of those like you know those baking things that they used to kind of like uh, put the icing on top and make a design. I did mm-hmm. that so I could make the what's it called the mashed potato come out in a kind of swirly design. I did yeah. that, and I made you know I didn't you know drench the the asparagus in too much oil and then I put a little dollop of what's it called of um, uh, mayonnaise in the center so it looked like a proper like a, like a visual piece and the thing is that it's something that I've kind of like always been concerned about because a lot of my dishes they're just like it's like pap you know it's like <laughs> just like you know what I'm saying it's like it just fell I'm still eating it though that, that's me I'm, I'm a foodie I'm a foodie so I eat food from everywhere I don't judge. I eat. I don't discriminate. That's me. Yeah, I, I eat everything. If you ever want to come down, yeah, that space is available for you. All right, I appreciate that, man. So, mm-hmm. to um, second last question, um, what can we look forward to coming from Joshua Idem? I've got several projects that are coming out. Like I've got several um, projects that I'm, I've been worked on. I have a lot more that I would have finished if I wasn't doing this interview, but. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm I'm constantly working. Next year, there, there's going to be there's more from Benin City. Hopefully, a, a few album, a couple of other projects back and forth. Um, maybe something from Calabash. Yeah, man, I've just got a lot of stuff that I need to kind of finish and get out. But I'm working little by little, small, small. All righty. So, final question: What would you like to leave the audience with? Sorry. Could be. So, uh, sorry, what would you like to leave the audience with? Could be a quote. Could be a line from your favorite book, uh, song, whatever, you uh, poet, uh, from one okay. of your po- poems. Um, yeah, okay. whatever. I am going to leave everyone with something, the cheesiest thing I can think of, because I want people to, I want to finish this conversation the way I started it. And I started it with my Nigerian voice, and <laughs> everybody knows Nigerians are the cheesiest people on the planet. So this one, <laughs> Is a cheesy saying that has been passed down from generation to generation. They say, Yesterday is history. Tomorrow is a mystery. But today is a gift. That's why we call it the present. (laughs) (laughs) This guy has too much. <laughs> I'm not sure you're too much. <laughs> oh, my brother, I can't thank you enough, man. <laughs> no worries, no worries, no worries. Uh, please, please plug yourself in. Plug yourself in. Oh, well, well, you guys, you know, Ms., um, you can look for me on Twitter at Benin Citizen. That's B E N I N Citizen. Or you can find me on Instagram by my name, Joshua Dehan, at Joshua Dehan. Don't ask me why they're different. I'm stupid. I like to make things difficult for myself. <laughs> my band, Binning City. In fact, you know what? Like, 
if you find me on Instagram, you will find you would find all my all my other projects from there. You know, if you Google the name Josh Redan, stuff will turn up. I'm a poet. I'm a musician. Like my stuff is good. If you don't like it, it's because you're racist. What can I say? His stuff is great. I played all day long. I played all day long. All day long. It's fantastic. You, you, nice you don't like it. You're a normal you human lie down, you shake body, you dance, you do everything. You shake, dance, everything. And it's true. If you don't like it, you're racist. That's as simple as Oh, my brother. Thank you very much. I'll, 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 I'll put um, all the links in the show notes so people can find you and I'll tag you on uh, when I post this on uh, social media. So, thank you, man. Thank much you again. All right. And um, thank you all for joining us. Uh, catch you on the next episode. And uh, thank you for the pleasure of your company. All right. Thanks for listening to White Label American. If you enjoyed the show, we'll appreciate if you rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast from. If you have any questions, comments, or have someone who will be a good guest on the show, or you want to be on the show, send us a message at whitelabelamerican at gmail.com. And make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at White Label American. Thank you for your support.